Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. We hope you had a good weekend. Coming up on our program today, we'll talk weather, lots of weather news. We'll talk with John Baranek, DTN meteorologist. We'll talk biofuels with Brian Jennings from the American Coalition for Ethanol. It looks like uh, the administration is, EPA is, going to recommend lower RVO levels Wow, that's not good news for the biofuels industry. We'll get Brian Jennings' reaction to that. And could that announcement be the black swan event that uh, some market analysts have been kind of wondering if we would have one with these markets? Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing will join us to give us her thoughts on that possibility. But we start things off today with Sarah Wyant, president and editor of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks as always for joining us. Well, good morning, Mike. It's nice to be back. We've been on the road with a bunch of different meetings in Chicago, Milwaukee, Vail, Kansas City, and so it's uh, been busy meeting season already this fall. Yeah, you have been busy and on the go, that's for sure. All right, so Afghanistan obviously dominating the news. This also impacts USDA and the people we work with in Afghanistan on agricultural projects, right? Absolutely. You know, we've been trying to contact folks at USDA to see how many uh, different contractors are there, who's still at risk. And, you know, there are so many people that just aren't responding right now. And they've scrubbed the USDA website for any mention of some of the folks who have been doing some of this work just out of fear that the Taliban will, you know, connect the dots and find the name. So it's it's really a, a, a perilous time right now for so many people who have helped the U.S. government, and a lot of them have been involved in agriculture, you know, dating back decades where we've tried to um, switch them to more commercial crops outside of the drug-related crops and uh, really have put uh, millions of dollars into agricultural development there, and and hopefully um, they'll find a way to get them out of the country so they can still be safe. Yeah, we continue to watch that developing story for sure. Uh, Meanwhile, it looks like um, Nancy Pelosi wants to go ahead and push this $3.5 trillion budget resolution, even though some in her own party uh, have some doubts about it. Yes, she's made it very clear that she intends to push the $3.5 trillion budget resolution process as well as move ahead on the rules for an infrastructure uh, package and perhaps voting rights. And so we're watching the House Rules Committee today to come up with their outline of what can be amended and what can't be. And then we're going to see how that plays out with what are now nine Democrats who say they're going to hold fast, not vote for the budget reconciliation package. Two of those of note are on the House Ag Committee, Mr. Costa from California and Tim Amandula from Texas. Uh, so, uh, you know, stay tuned on whether or not they're going to really hold firm or whether they're going to hold firm until some deals can be cut that can win their votes. And more are saying, even more Democrats are saying, let's go ahead with the infrastructure bill. Don't, don't tie the two together. 
Well, they are because they know that we could get out the gates right now with jobs and stimulate the economy and do a lot of good things for the United States, which certainly needs things like broadband and new waterways and all the things that are under this more traditional infrastructure package with $550 billion in new spending. However, there's also a push to do this next $3.5 trillion or so uh, of other kinds of infrastructure. And, of course, we're going to be watching that very closely, Mike, because it has the potential for $135 billion in new spending for conservation programs, research, forestry, and child nutrition. But it also has, in the pay-for side of the equation, some things that are really of concern to farmers and ranchers in terms of tax provisions that could nullify the basis, the, the benefits of step-up basis and put taxes on family farms and ranches at transfer. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to get new money that may really help write, a, write the next farm bill and improve conservation programs, but I, I think the one thing that we're hearing from uh, farmers more than anything else right now is look out for these pay-fors. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of concern with that. And I think questions also have to be asked about what are the assurances that if passed, that money actually gets to where it's intended or what we, you know, are, is it going to get to these projects? I mean, we've seen all this money, these spending bills passed in Congress during the pandemic, and some of that money still hasn't gone out. So just because you pass something, that doesn't mean the money actually gets there and things start happening. That's certainly the case. Even with this infrastructure package that we discussed, you know, a lot of it is money that has not been spent in previous rounds, and it's, but it does have $550 mm-hmm. billion in, in new spending. So, you know, there's just, uh, you know, a billion here, a billion there, and, you know, as they say, pretty soon you're talking real money, and now we're talking trillions of dollars. So at some point in time, people are going to look at the accountability of this spending and whether or not it's really gone for its intended use. Yeah, politicians like to have big uh, ceremonies and celebrations and pat themselves on the back, but uh, a lot of times uh, the details don't follow along with the announcement and that things don't always get done the way you hope they would. So we'll be watching that closely. Meanwhile, as I'll be talking about later with Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol, uh, it looks like EPA is going to propose lower biofuel levels for the renewable fuel standard. Yes, we reported on agripulse.com this on Friday that that does it look like there will be lower RVOs for 2021 and then potentially an increase for 2022. So I don't know if they're trying to cut this down the middle and try to say they're going to appease both agriculture and oil interests. That's certainly what it looks like. But I'm sure you'll get more from Brian Jennings when he's on your show. They just had their annual meeting and we were talking to Brian about this, and, and what a big disappointment that they would cut for 2021, especially as you look at the push to have cleaner air and to address carbon emissions. You know, uh, all the renewable fuel folks are really trying to get the message out that they have a solution that's here now. Let's uh, let's see how we can advance that, and uh, reducing those RVOs doesn't seem to be consistent with that push. Yeah, you can clean clean the air now and even help lower gas prices at the pump, but yet the administration is turning in another direction. That That's a head-scratcher and has a lot of people frustrated. All right, Sarah, always good to talk with you, and uh, I know 
We Things stay busy. Farm Progress next week. We'll see you there, right? Right. Spencer will be there for us, and then we're going to be on the road mm-hmm. on a couple of other meetings. We've got some coming up in Washington and a lot of webinars, so stay tuned for our website. We've got a lot more events. Yeah, you stay busy, and your staff does a great job of covering these events. Thanks for being with us, Sarah. We'll talk again soon. You're welcome. Sarah Wyant, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Lots of weather news to talk about, some severe weather in places. Are we seeing a changing pattern for some of the dry areas in the Midwest? We'll talk about that next with John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise, We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. 
Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, a lot of uh, weather news. Unfortunately, not a, not all of it's good. In fact, a lot of it's bad. I mean, uh, when you look at the hurricanes and tropical storms hitting the East Coast, you've got the f- terrible flooding in Tennessee. Let's talk it over with John Baranek, DTM meteorologist. John, uh, while we've talked so much about large, large parts of the country very dry this year, now we have these storms and flooding uh, in other parts of the country. So, again, we see the extremes. Yeah, extremes are kind of the, the norm when we're talking about a large nation, too. So um, we, we did see, you know, the, what happened in central Tennessee was absolutely devastating. Uh, I didn't get a chance to calculate the area that was actually affected, but I think it's a good couple hundred square miles of, of area in, in central Tennessee that saw more than eight inches of rain, and, and you know, we saw up to 17 inches of rain in a very short period of time, five, six hours. So that caused just absolutely devastating flooding there. Um, you'd see all kinds of damage, lots of loss of life, which is just absolutely tragic. Uh, as we moved into the northeast, we kept continuing throughout the week to see the forecast track for for Henri keep moving westward, keep moving westward. And uh, luckily it, it, uh, it uh, weakened before it got really into the northeast, but it still has been producing tons of rainfall. New York City, I think, right now is kind of a big winner. Uh, I think there's lots of areas uh, right around New York City that we're seeing 7 to 10 inches of rain out of that. Um, So lots of flooding in that area as well. On the brighter side, uh, areas that uh, have been dry all season long have seen some pretty decent rainfall. Uh, We saw two systems kind of move through late last week and then over the weekend. And pretty some good rainfall, actually, for almost all of Montana through North Dakota into northwest Minnesota. Uh, with very few exceptions, a lot of those areas saw at least a half inch of rain, and there were tons of pockets that were over two. Uh, a lot of central North Dakota, and that extended up into the Canadian prairies and the Manitoba, saw two to four inches of rain. Um, we also saw some good rainfall over southern Minnesota, northern Iowa, portions of western Nebraska. Uh, but we also saw some areas that out. So much of South Dakota, Southwest Minnesota, Northeast Nebraska, Southern Iowa really missed out on their on the rainfall they kind of needed with all the drought continuing to go on. And so still a mixed bag. But some of those areas that needed rain got some rain, may not help the crops much this year, maybe in some places a little bit on the beans. But you got to start the recovery at some point, right? And the sooner the better. Oh, the sooner the better for sure. And um it looks like it's probably going to continue this week. Models is really starting to picking up on a lot of little disturbances that are going to be moving through uh, the, the western corn belts. And uh, for the, the, the course of the week, we've got probably five that are going to be moving through over the next seven days, um, which is kind of remarkable in itself uh, that you'll get that many disturbances moving through one area. So it's going to be daily showers across the western corn belt all the way through Sunday at least, um, and, and won't really translate to the eastern Corn Belt. So what we've been seeing is kind of a reversal of what we've seen uh, over the course of the summer, where we've had very little 
rainfall move through the western corn belt and then really pick up steam as it moves eastward, this is going to be the exact opposite, where we've got some good rainfall chances across the west, and as they get into the east, they really peter out. Yeah, the eastern corn belt getting some hotter and drier weather. Yes, temperatures will be up too. And so we've had some heat advisories, I think, from uh, Missouri and southern uh, Illinois southward of the Gulf of Mexico. Temperatures are going to be in the 90s for uh, the southern half of the Midwest, southern half of the Corn Belt. Um, we're going to still see some hundreds out there in the uh, western plains as well. So still hot, uh, still summertime, I guess. So we, we still have those uh, potential for high temperatures. And humidity is up too, which is really what's really producing a whole lot of the uh, uh, heat advisories right now. Uh, that's going to continue, though, so uh, we're not going to see a whole lot of relief from that. Maybe some gradual cool-downs as uh, we get a couple of those disturbances to kind of try to eke their way through the eastern Corn Belt. But for the most part, we're going to be above normal for, for at least the next week. Talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. John, you've been telling us uh, the last couple of weeks of kind of seeing signs of, of change in these ridges that have been so set for much of the year, uh, much of the summer especially. So is this a, uh, more of an indication of things changing now as we move on into fall? Well, for those uh, drought areas, they sure hope so. Um, not a whole lot of things on the on the macro weather scale kind of globally to kind of indicate one way or the other, but we are moving closer and closer into the fall season. So the more we get into the fall, the more likely we are to see change. So uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic maybe than some that uh, we're, we're starting to see a better change uh, in the pattern. We might see better rainfall chances across the north. Uh, hopefully that extends into the eastern uh, Eastern Corn Belt as well for some of this, as long as it doesn't interfere with uh, harvest too much. But, uh, you know, a lot of these areas that are still in, in droughts, uh, they're begging for it, and it looks like it might be on the way, at least in my opinion. Hmm. Well, that would be good news for sure. Uh, so you've talked about this La Nina following La Nina. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so that's 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 the one kicker to the whole thing. So while we're uh, while we're a little more hopeful for rainfall chances across the uh, the western Corn Belt, um, the double dip La Nina really kind of has a tendency to bring about another dry season after a dry season. So two dry seasons in a row. Um, Typically over the winter when we see a La Nina, the north central U.S. sees below normal temperatures. And for the most part, you can't really tell one way or the other if it's drier or wetter than normal. Some years it's wetter, some years it's drier uh, over the course of the winter. Uh, hopefully this year the, those areas will see some uh, a wetter year instead of a drier year. But um, it, it's hard to get rid of drought if you're just sitting with normal precipitation over the course of a season. So um, really hoping that uh, some of this really gets eliminated before we, we get into the winter time. So we're getting close to harvest time. That means uh, looking at planting time in South America. What's their weather like? They've had their challenges. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, they, they had probably the worst season, um, you know, for growing their crops, uh, their, their winter crops. 
uh, in a couple of decades at least. So um, they had the La Nina just like us, and typically for them that uh, produces a shortened wet season. They have a, uh, a very distinct wet and dry season. Um, over the, the course of their dry season, it, it, it started much quicker than normal, and rain shut off in pretty much the middle of March, and they haven't seen much there since, and they've had frost and all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, right now, um, they're, they're, they've got a uh, front that's over the southern portions of Brazil. They'll be moving northward over the course of the week, and they'll get some good rainfall over those southern portions. But their main growing regions right in the middle of the country are the ones that uh, that really need the rainfall, they need significant recharge to happen before they start, you know, significant planting progress. And that kind of goes through Argentina as well. They've been drier than normal as well, so their their soil moisture is low, so they'll need some uh, additional rainfall too. Um, it doesn't really look like a whole lot's going to happen uh, with the with the La Nina. They should probably have another shortened uh, growing season as well, so they'll have additional challenges down there. That'll be a story to watch. Uh, when we look at some of the other, like, wheat-producing areas around the world, what's weather like for those areas? Uh, right now, for, for much of Europe, it's it's pretty decent. Uh, for the western half, it's been uh, much wetter than normal, uh, but they've gotten some drier conditions recently, which has kind of helped uh, even things out a bit, and they're, they're getting into spring wheat harvest now, and they had, some, they had some trouble with winter wheat harvest, but spring wheat harvest is coming up, and they're looking a little bit better. Um, towards the eastern half of Europe, it's continued to be fairly wet for the most part, um, not excessively, but, uh, but right on par with what you'd really like to see uh, if you're a wheat grower over there. Um, they're going to continue, at least for the next week, to continue to have uh, periods of showers in there. So um, wheat that's still immature is, is going to benefit uh, quite nicely from it, but it's going to produce some harvest pressure uh, and some delays. Really, though, as you get into uh, Ukraine and Russia is where you see the, the switch from good conditions throughout U Ukraine to really poor conditions in, in western Russia. Uh, it's been very hot and very dry for several weeks uh, in one of their main growing regions, the Volga Valley. Um, they've had a couple of fronts move through, but they have not been able to produce much in the way of precipitation. Uh, so the heat has continued, so they've got poor conditions continuing there for at least the next week. Yeah, we're not the only ones with weather challenges for sure. Good to talk with you, John. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Have a good week. DTN meteorologist John Baranek. Up next, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings, joins us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of extend max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. 
Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide-label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel ExtendFlex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. The weekend weather appeared to be mostly as expected, which was not enough rain. Crop prices were pressured down by the negative Afghanistan news last week. This week, markets are focused on their own fundamentals. The Pro Farmer Tour projected a bigger corn and bean crop than the USDA August reports. On the Board of Trade this morning, we are seeing a bit of a mixed tone. September corn trading a penny and a half cent higher at 540 and a fraction. The December contract up a a penny and three quarters at 539. For soybeans, the September contract up nine and three quarters at 1303 and a half cent. The November contract up nine at 1299 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat September trading 11 and a half cent higher at 725 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September up five and three quarters at 707 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September up six and a half cent at 925. The December contract up seven cents at 9.09 and a fraction of a cent. For livestock, the expectation of a friendly Catalan feeder report was well-founded as the report met the expectation overall. The on-feed number was 98% with trade expectations of 98.3%, which should provide some support. Placements of 92% compared to last year and expectations of 93.2% also should provide some support as they indicate supply should tighten as the year progresses. However, marketing were 95% of a year ago compared to expectations of 96.5%. Looking at live cattle futures this morning, the October contract up $1.85 at $130.82. The December contract up $1.32 at $135.85. For feeders, September up $1.30 at $166.80. The October contract up $2.25 at $169.85. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have a lot to talk about with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, Mike, it's always my pleasure. Thank you. I know you had a good conference last week, and I want to get into that in just a moment. But I want to start with the, this news that it looks like EPA will uh, propose lower RVO levels for this year and perhaps increase them next year. I don't know if this is some attempt at a compromise or what, but I want to get your thoughts on that. And the fact that 2021 is almost over and we're just now maybe getting these uh, uh, proposals for this year. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, Mike, it's that last thing you said that's got me pulling the hair out of my head. We're almost nine months into calendar year 2021, and we still don't know what the 2021 volume, renewable volume obligations are going to be. Of course, they should have been finalized by the previous administration by statute on November 30th of 2020, but, but here we are. And like you said, the, the rumor is, and we've talked to some Hill staff who seem to confirm that the proposal is, is imminent in terms of it, its timing going from EPA to the White House for review. That typically takes a good 30 days, so it could be a while before we see these numbers unless they're leaked. And the word on the street is that for 2021, which we're well into, they're going to be less than 15 billion gallons in terms of implied conventional renewable fuel volume. That's disappointing to us because the statute is very clear. It says that 15 billion gallons ought to be blended in transportation fuel um, for 2021. But we're also at a point, Mike, where we're so far down the road in 2021. Blending right now for ethanol looks like it's going to be running at a rate of about 14 billion gallons. I'd love to see EPA set it at 15 and make refiners retire some of those RIN credits that they have been hoarding or stockpiling. Um, we'll see if that, that's the case or not. And then this rule is likely to also cover the 2022 calendar year. And yes, the suggestion is that we're going to be looking at volumes that are right around that target of 15 billion gallons, which is where we need to be because that's what the law suggests. And we'll see if that's the case. What I would like about that is that going into then 2023, we would be at the maximum statutory volumes because in 2023, EPA, of course, gets um, much wider discretion with respect to how they set the volumes, meaning the, the statutory set volumes are done in 2022 and EPA gets a whole lot more authority, a whole lot more flexibility for setting the volumes after 2022. Which seems scary to me based on the way they've handled it so far, but we'll see what happens then. Um, so when you look at this, um, I mean, I, f I find this frustrating, so I know you have to. Uh, you've got an administration that wants to meet these climate goals. They say they're concerned about higher prices at the pump but they continue to refuse to accept that they have a domestic industry right here in place that can address both of those issues now. The disconnect is mind-boggling. It's frustrating. I get angry about it sometimes. <laughs> I, uh, it's, I sort of run the, run the you know, spectrum, Mike. Um, in the same week that the, 
United Nations climate report came out and said, you know, the, the climate crisis is real. We've got to do something about it immediately. Of course, the president asked OPEC uh, to turn on the spigot and, and provide more foreign oil to us, which is incredibly frustrating. And the thing that we really tried to pound home at our conference in Minneapolis last week is how ethanol is indeed part of the climate solution. But it's been, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a bit since President Biden was elected. And I feel like I have been incredibly patient with this administration in trying to give them time to see the connection between increasing the use of ethanol and addressing climate change sooner rather than later. I'm here to tell you, Mike, that that patience is wearing incredibly thin at this point in time because opportunity after opportunity has been given to this administration to make that connection and to do something about it, whether it's through the renewable volume obligation or changing the GREEP model to, a, to changing the modeling to allow ethanol uh, to, to get the credit it's due for reducing greenhouse gases, and we haven't seen them take any action. Yeah, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, I'm talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. And I know last week at your conference you addressed this whole issue of the push for electric vehicles and, and where does biofuels fit into all this. Kind of you know, give us a, a, an overview of, of what uh, was discussed at your conference last week on this topic. Well, we tried to reassure our members that electric vehicles, despite all the rhetoric, despite all the talk, electric vehicles are not going to take over anytime soon, that there will be hundreds of millions of vehicles for decades upon decades upon decades that are going to depend upon liquid fuels to operate. And if climate is genuinely a goal of this administration, you would think they'd want to do everything uh, that, that they have the power to do to make sure that we're using the maximum levels of renewable fuels. And it really goes back to what we were just talking about it a minute ago. Does this administration want to reduce greenhouse gases or do they just want to talk about it? Because if they just want to talk about it, then keep the rhetoric up on electric vehicles because today's electric vehicles are plugging into power generated from fossil fuels. It'll be decades from now before we see renewable energy powering the, those electric vehicles. But if you want to do something today, in a meaningful way to reduce greenhouse gases. Let's use more ethanol in our fuel supply. And we tried to assure our members that we are indeed part of the solution and laid out the number of ways we can reach net zero emissions from corn ethanol, net negative uh, greenhouse gas emissions from corn ethanol. So we're trying to empower our members to go on offense. But Mike, we need sort of a, uh, uh, someone on the other end of that um, you know, receiving end of that message to be willing to have a conversation with us. And, and we've been struggling with that so far with this administration. Yeah, they don't seem to be listening or, or, or taking the message, it doesn't sound like. Now, Congress, too, I mean, didn't they miss the boat on this infrastructure package, which we wait to see what happens with it? I mean, there are a lot of good things in the infrastructure package, the $1.2 trillion, that could really help agriculture with with hard infrastructure but they kind of missed the boat where they could have helped with the uh the biofuels industry too they sure did and we had representative angie craig of minnesota come visit with our uh conference um uh, members in person 
And she admitted that, that on the Senate side, um, they missed the opportunity to really provide support for blender pumps or other infrastructure at the retail level for higher blends of ethanol. There's bipartisan legislation out there to provide incentives to automakers to make sure there are more and more of these flexible fuel vehicles on the road that can use up to E85. I was encouraged to hear the Congresswoman say that as this legislation, this infrastructure legislation begins to make its way over to the House of Representatives, in fact, they are reconvening today to take up infrastructure for a couple of days that she and other members of Congress um, are going to make uh, make it a priority, whether it's um, USDA biofuel infrastructure assistance, flexible fuel vehicle incentives, or her legislation that would restore that E15 market year-round. We do have some champions that are looking out for us, but we just got to make sure that we get something meaningful in these infrastructure bills if they're going to be headed to the president's desk. You did get a grant from through USDA, though, to help uh, with infrastructure as far as uh, blender pumps. Well, on Thursday of last week, USDA did make an announcement of another I think $23 million, that was already, that was previously sort of allocated um, for USDA through the HBIT program, but every bit helps. There's no doubt about it, Mike, Um, and we're grateful USDA continues to, you know, address that and make sure that they're geographically spreading out where they are helping incentivize this infrastructure so people all around the country can benefit from higher blends of ethanol. So just to wrap it up, you did have a good conference last week. It's good to be back face-to-face with people again, right? Yeah, despite the headwinds or challenges or however you want to describe it, people were really pleased to get back together. I think it was it, it was very re-energizing for myself and our staff and our board to get together with our members. So we appreciated the opportunity, Mike. Yep, just wish uh, you'd have had better news to, to tell them and to talk about. But, uh, hey, this industry's faced uh, big challenges before, and you've been able to overcome them. I'm sure you will again now. Brian, thanks a lot. Always good to talk with you. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. You too. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Yeah, just extremely frustrating. This uh, this should be a time that should be a real boom for the biofuels industry. These climate goals and uh, – uh, you know, helping lower prices at the pump. That's what this industry, this domestic industry, this biofuels industry could do, but the administration continues to look the other way. Well, could this uh, expected announcement on RVO levels be a black swan for the markets? We'll talk about that with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. That's coming up next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. 
Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture, the policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. 
Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, welcome back. Um, We've been talking with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing for some time about the markets and uh, what could uh, slow the market rally down or, or anything like that. And she said, well, there's always the potential of a black swan event. Naomi Bloom joins us now. Naomi, could this uh, rumored RVO announcement of lower RVO levels for the year for biofuels, could that be a black swan event for the markets? It absolutely would be something fully unexpected, and that's what was uh, a, really a blow for prices last week on Friday when the news broke that the EPA was going to potentially do lower blending mandates for the rest of this year, um, maybe next year. And then after the market closed on Friday, then there was a new announcement that said, well, it might be lower for the rest of 2021, but 2022 could potentially bring in new demand. So the bottom line is that we don't have a clue what's going on, and we're not sure where things are going to be. I know that in November is the deadline for um, this process to be finalized and, and for recommendations to be made, but the market didn't like it, especially with now perception that is the yield maybe a little bit larger out there in the field with some of the rain that's been coming through. So again, when you have just a lack of continuous bullish news on marketplace prices usually drift lower and that's what we saw Friday and that's continuing again today for Monday's trade yeah deadlines on this mean nothing to EPA in any administration seems like they're always late with these here we are waiting for the 2021 announcement and it's probably at least another month away I mean the year's almost over before we get it so uh, it remains uh, a big question mark, so we see. You mentioned the uh, improving conditions in some places. I mean, uh, that could help some crops, but not a lot. But it, does it kind of set up more of a uh, that different tone for the markets as we head into harvest, though? That's exactly what's happening um, because seasonally it's kind of normal for the grain price to slide lower throughout the end of August. So we're starting to see that seasonality come into play. And again, because there's not this confirmation of tightly, tightly, tightly supplies and smaller ending stocks, 
um, that's just making the market slide a little bit lower. So now we're going to be stuck here waiting for some news to emerge. The first bit of news is going to come later this week. When we come and see Fed commentary, they're all getting together for their big powwow in Jackson Hole, and that's going to affect the value of the dollar. And then the next USDA report, of course, isn't until um, September. So we have a little bit of time there before we get a better confirmation on yield and what it's going to be, be doing. So um, overall, though, here's my thought. If prices do drift a little bit lower, you're going to see more countries coming in and doing some buying because of the overall theme of how tight ending stocks are, not just for corn, not just for soybeans, but it's all wheat now here in the United States, and it's oats, and it's canola, and the global wheat su supplies are starting to drift a little bit lower as well. So any price break that we see is going to be met with buying. And we saw that this morning. Mexico came in and had a huge export sale for corn. So I think it's only a matter of time where we see China come in and do a little bit more buying as well because it's good value. The ending stocks are tight, and I still think we're going to start to see traders figure out overall how tight ending stocks are, especially for this old crop. I still talk with farmers who swept out their bins weeks ago, and these are folks who maybe would have been dragging their heels yet in other years. But there is really, in my opinion, not a lot of old crop out there, and so we are in dire need of this new crop to get harvested. And you're still seeing that with your cash markets showing positive basis levels, and the demand overall is still strong. So I'm still bullish for the long term because demand is strong and we have these tight ending stocks everywhere, but just might have to deal with slight drag of prices for the short term until we see that demand kick up and step in again. You mentioned the Fed meeting this week and the value of the dollar. We need to watch that closely, don't we? We absolutely do. So just remember when the value of our dollar is lower, it makes it cheaper for other countries to import our agricultural products because of the currency exchange rates. So what happened in the last couple of days here is that the dollar had been working higher. That also weighed on agricultural prices. And then in Brazil, we saw their farmers starting to do a little bit more selling here just recently just because, again, of the currency exchange rates. It's so critical to the marketplace. And then when you look at the U.S. dollar in terms of past history, it affects all commodities. It's not just agricultural commodities that are beneficiaries of stronger exports when the dollar is down, but it's our energy products and then, of course, just demand for commodities overall. So farmers thinking about, uh, you know, should they sell during harvest this year or hold off? Uh, what are you telling them? Well, I think a lot of folks have already been making some good sales for what they know that they're going to be having as excess come harvest. So I think that has been done, and, and people have been done a good job. Um, in my opinion, because... I, I truly, truly think that the ending stocks are even tighter than what the USDA is letting on, and maybe we see that come to fruition on the September 30th quarterly stocks report. Um, because if the ending stocks for old crop are a lot tighter than what the USDA is letting on, then that makes for tighter carry in for uh, this new crop year. So that's something to be monitoring. And so I would say um, because of value, you should be selling value because it's coming off of the fields, but we still have this bigger question mark of needing five commodities to fight for acres this spring. Mm -hmm. So there could be some merit and some potential for holding your grain. But my other thought is that 
when we see this fight for acres come, and usually, you know, it makes prices rally into the early winter, make sure then that this winter, if you have the grain then stored at home, that you take advantage of the winter price rally, because then we're going to see a big fight for acres, and then we might see the biggest prices then in the winter season. Yeah, that, that fight for acres is going to be an interesting one for sure. All right. Good to talk with you, Naomi. Thank you. Thank you. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.